Hello, and welcome to the Harassment-Free Workplace Podcast. I'm April Turow of Navigating Integrity Associates. This podcast is for CEOs and HR professionals of small and medium-sized businesses to learn practical suggestions that can be used right away to address harassment in the workplace. We are committed to creating workplaces that work for everyone. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to the Harassment-Free Workplace Podcast. I'm your host, April Tarot. Thank you for joining us again this week. So, so excited to have Lena Sharma-Seth with us today. Hello, Lena. Hi, April. So glad to be here for this conversation. Oh, I'm so glad you're here too. This is a conversation you want to be in, people. It's going to push the edges, might push you to the boundaries of your comfortableness, but that's exactly what we need to do. So let me read your bio first to find out what people are in for today, Lena. Lena Sharma Seth is a racialized settler, a daughter of Punjabi East Indian immigrants, and founder of Mending the Chasm, a firm committed to working with communities, clients, and organizations that are committed to building inclusive cultures from the inside out. Lena has a master's in conflict analysis and management from Royal Roads, achieved her Canadian Certified Inclusion Professional designation with the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion, is trained as a Circleway facilitator, and recently completed the Pride at Work LGBTQ2 Workplace Inclusion Certificate. Lena's work is in community building has been recognized by the 2021 Mayor's Community Service Award through the Burlington of Chamber of Commerce. Lena is a passionate foodie and enjoys reading. She's raising two social justice warriors and her partner with her partner Sanjay and is proud to call Burlington home. Hello, Lena. Hi, April. <laughs> it's so great to have you here. So tell me about Mending the Chasm. This is your baby. This is your work that you've created. Tell me more about it. For sure. You know, I I like to call it, it was a labor of love. Um, And as a fellow entrepreneur, um, I I think you'd probably appreciate me offering that at that moment back in 2019, when I decided to launch uh, Mending the Chasm, I was only, you know, incrementally more excited than I was petrified. (laughs) And so it had been a, you know, a dream of mine to step into my own um, firm for quite some time. And back in 2019, it felt like the right moment in terms of I had gotten to a place where, I, you know, frankly, I felt like I could be more effective. And I like to say outside of systems than inside of them. And so um, what I have the privilege um, of getting to do through many of the chasm is to work with um, organizations and leaders um, across North America uh, in building more inclusive, equitable uh, and accessible cultures. Mm, so exciting. And it can be very uncomfortable when we bring up diversity, equity, inclusion. I know a lot of people go squirrely. It's like, oh, but it's so important to have these conversations. I was uh, just listening to a Brene Brown podcaster. I don't know. I love Brene Brown and everything she stands for, but she was talking about the edges and how most of us numb the edges, Right? Like we don't want to get to the edge. We don't want to be in that discomfort, that uncomfortable place. And so we try to like hide from the edges. It's like we don't want to have the conversation or we avoid it. How many of us are conflict avoiders? I know I used to be in my previous life, like run away, run away. Um, or God forbid, I put my foot in my mouth and oh, I said the wrong thing and don't know how to fix it. And 
But I love what Brene says. It's like the edges lean into the edges because that's where the growth happens. So I'm encouraging all of our listeners to lean into this edge today, like really lean in and embrace this conversation and look at ways that we can make a difference in our organizations to really make diversity, equity, inclusion, not just the volunteer subcommittee, but an actually living, breathing thing in our workplaces. So, and I know that's what you stand for and that's what you do. And the work you do with your clients is all about getting into the organization and figuring out a way to make this a living, breathing thing, as opposed to just something to kind of, oh yeah, checkbox, we did that. So I really love your passion about this work and let's dive into it, shall we? Sure, let's go for it. Okay, great. So one thing I ask all of our guests is to bring three practical tips that people can use right away to help them implement them in their workplaces right now. I know that that's a big ask (laughs) for such a huge topic um, of having people feel included and talking about diversity and welcoming diversity. So I know that's difficult to do, but if you come up with three that we can we can talk about and see where it goes and hopefully people will have some really great takeaways, which I know they will. Absolutely. And and I have to give a nod and I appreciate your previous guests who have touched on things like education, policy, uh, making sure policy is embodied. To me, those are foundational that would need to be present for the things I'm going to offer. So I, I want to offer that caveat that, you know, to start where I'm suggesting may not be helpful, but if you've got that foundation and that commitment and investment to those pieces already, then what I'm offering um, and what re- feels like one of my sweet spots in the work I do um, is kind of what's feeding the three pieces of advice that I'm offering. So mm-hmm. the first one is really getting rooted in your why. You know, why, why is equity and inclusion important to you? You know, we've heard, um, I'm sure so many of us have heard it over the last two years with all of the movement uh, that has happened. Uh, and I hold a lot of gratitude for the Black Lives Matter movement that has really uh, created the opportunity. We're standing on the shoulders of giants who've been doing this work for a long time. That's enabled this moment because I recognize that there's many listeners potentially who are like, I didn't really know this was an issue before, you know, the last two years when, um, you know, George Floyd's tragic murder really uh, served as some form of a tipping point and kind of what um, has shifted in terms of the commitments that leaders and organizations are making to diversity, Mm -hmm. equity, and inclusion. Um, But it's really important to understand that this work has been happening for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I, I really come to this work with humility. Um, And so the first thing around the why, I I know for me, my why in 2019 was this recognition that um, there are uh, stakeholders in our community, there are people in our community who are deeply invisibilized. They're not included meaningfully in, um, you know, decision-making. They're not considered uh, stakeholders who have something to offer that's of value. And so, you know, when when I was thinking about my why, my why was I want to, you know, leave our community um, better than I found it at the very least. I'm raising my children in this community. So, of course, I love, you know, as someone who is racialized and a woman, you know, those are some of my identities that are where I've experienced marginalization. I thought, you know, we we have an opportunity here as we think about pandemic recovery. You know, mm-hmm. what will our world look like post-COVID? And, and knowing how businesses uh, and companies' bottom lines have been, you know, deeply affected by that. So for us to not have an inclusive recovery 
um, in our minds and our plans is just, just does not make sense. And so part of when you're thinking about your why is to understand, you know, what is the why that keeps me passionate about this work that keeps me, as you said, able to go to my edges as a leader, able to, to be uncomfortable when I don't have an answer, or perhaps I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I like to say that uh, one of my uh, community agreements in the work I do with my clients is that we talk about progress over perfection, mm. that we are going to do, we are going to make mistakes in this work. And the mm-hmm. point is we must be committed to repairing any harm that is caused when we do make mistakes. So that liberates us from this need to have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And to recognize, like, I don't know what I don't know, but it's still important to move forward. And so having a why that we're rooted in as a leader, as a company, you know, and this is where you talked about, like, when folks uh, or companies put um, DEI as like a volunteer committee off the side of your desk. There's a big difference between companies who do that and companies that center equity and inclusion in their strategies. And so mm-hmm. part of that why could be strategically we recognize um, we have work to do. Uh, we recognize there's a lot of people missing from our um, that in our in our workforce that doesn't represent the communities that we serve or the clients that we serve. And so that's kind of the first thing I offer. Mm-hmm. It, it's so important too. It's like, and not just like, oh yeah, okay, that's my why, but like really have it sing for you. Because and then talk about it with everybody in your company because your why might be very different than somebody else's why, right? I I remember and. And courage is definitely needed for these conversations too. Cause I remember I back before when I was a midwife in school, we took a course called working across differences in midwifery. And I will admit I was a white person who did not know better. <laughs> like I was unconscious to all of the racial systems that I had been brought up in. I didn't know. And like, I didn't have any malice but I was so unaware of my language and how it was causing harm. And I remember people of color sitting across from me, these lovely, beautiful women of color who were my colleagues eventually screaming at me, trying to get me to wake up. And it was so humbling. I'm so grateful to them. So, so they did not need to do that work, but I just learned it was such a wake up call for me. And I just, I always, whenever this comes up, I always think back to those classrooms and how uncomfortable it was and how on the edge I was and how I hated it. And I felt like I couldn't understand it. And, but I kept at it and I kept at it. And then it was like, oh, it's the light started to dawn. And for me, it was like, once I really got that I was unconsciously causing harm because of the systems I had grown up in and inherited and were just a part of, that was like, I never want to do that again. I never want to be that person again. I never want to cause that harm again. I never want to, how do I become an ally to dismantle all of the systems that have been put in place to give me privilege and them not? There, you've raised something really important. This, there's this, uh, there's this framework called Bobby Harrow's cycle of socialization and it animates, you know, because folks, I was having a conversation today that really had me thinking about this, that, Many people are like, I didn't know that this was happening. I didn't know that this, you know, and it's, so it's not about feeling bad that you didn't know. It's now that you know, how can you continue to educate yourself? And, and the cycle of socialization really animates um, and hits home that all of us have been socialized in this system. And um, unless we're actively, and I think about uh, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi and, you know, this idea of there is no neutral in this work. And I mean, he's not the only one who kind of offered this and that 
it's not enough to be, you know, non-racist. You want to be anti-racist mm-hmm. because to be anti, um, anti-oppression is to say I'm actively opposing and resisting where, uh, and working to dismantle systems that are perpetuating disproportionate outcomes for uh, people in our community who are seeking equity. And so um, I love that you shared that, uh, what you just offered, because it's about not feeling bad where you made those mistakes, recognizing and that probably informs part of your why, I bet, April, mm-hmm. in terms of you remember that experience. You're like, yeah, I don't want to create that for anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's really important that like your listeners think about as you as you kind of awaken and as you deepen your commitment to use the experiences where perhaps you feel like you made a mistake, as like, you know, give yourself the space and the grace that we are going to make mistakes and um, do your bit to repair the harm and then move forward. Mm-hmm. And oh, let me tell you, I felt like I was doing wrong like once I realized it, I was like, oh, I'm bad and wrong and what a bad person I am and la, la, la. And then that was the next level of, oh, wait a minute. Yes. It was unconscious. I didn't, I had no malice behind it. So, yeah. okay. Compassion for this is my conditioning and my programming. And I'm a fully grown adult. I can reprogram myself if I want to. I am committed to that. Absolutely. So, so yeah, it is, it's definitely a, uh, it's been a path and and I'm also a parent to a child who is a person of color. We adopted our daughter. She's Asian. And oh my goodness, I put my foot in my mouth so many times with her not realizing. Just completely unconscious and learning and growing. And she's also a social activist as well. So she keeps me on my toes, which I love. So anyways, <laughs> back to finding your why. So find your why, but root yourself in your why. Don't just be aware of it. Like really get rooted in it and have those conversations with your organization so that they know your why and you can all come together, create an organizational why as well. Yeah. And, and it'll keep you going when things get hard, because if you don't have a why where you've kind of done that soul searching, when things get hard, you'll want to quit. Like we want to run for the hills. Like you'd said, like outside of public speaking, I think conflict is one of the things people fear most. Mm-hmm. And it kind of transitions into my second point, if it makes sense here to, to offer. The second point I offer is to, to work on building the cultural and emotional resilience that's needed to have these difficult conversations. And so um, let me just make that kind of a little accessible because one of the things I, I believe, and i I've come to a point in my work where I can't talk about equity and inclusion without talking about trauma, right? Mm. So many of our bodies, our systems, our communities, our cultures are rife with trauma. Because if you think about the experience of oppression, whether it's you know, receiving a racial slur or um, you know, an accessibility issue or whatever those things are that are really creating harm, decolonization, slavery, right? We're still living with the legacy of these things. Um, we have to move with a mindfulness. And, and, and so when you talk about the discomfort um, for people holding different levels of privilege and power, the discomfort will come from different places. But the opportunity we all have is to do things like uh, embodiment practices, my- meditations. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know you're going to have a conversation or maybe go into a training session, and I offer this uh, with a lot of my client work where I start sessions with a five to seven minute embodiment practice because we tend to land in this work with our minds but not with our bodies and if you can kind of reflect on a time where you've experienced racism um, or the examples I mentioned and like imagine like and even just me saying this if you can imagine witnessing somebody um, experiencing a racial slur or a microaggression and what happens in your body like before Mm -hmm. your mind registers it your body is feeling it and so what I try and bring and I'm deeply influenced by the work of uh, Resma 
Menicum. He is the author of My Grandmother's Hands um, and some other great resources. I've been in some training with him. Um, but this idea of uh, somatic uh, embodiment practices, because again, it's a recognition that sometimes our bodies, not sometimes, always, our bodies are reacting and moving. And so part of how we build our resilience to have difficult conversations is to be more aware of what are we feeling, to start naming it. I also build in reflective practices to support that, like journaling, right? Um, and for some people, it's probably like, that is not something I want to do. Well, if you want to do this work um, and want to kind of, you know, as you said, like re-socialize and teach yourself something new, you have to understand what's happening internally. That What's that internal narrative? What is my body? How is my body reacting? And so I offer um, that we need to build that resilience because that's what I think this moment is asking us to do. It's not about reading more books and filling your mind with facts. Yes, that's part of it. Um, and I know, uh, you know, your, your guests talk about education as an important um, tool in creating harassment-free workplaces. But if for this, to me, it's about having the practice. So not just the knowledge, but do I have the confidence and the ability as a leader to actually address things when I see them coming up? When I hear something in a meeting that upsets me or that I recognize as a microaggression, am I calm and centered enough to be able to lean in to a solution or at least call, you know, calling out what has happened to say, hey, we need to pause for a moment because I think there's a comment that's been made or whatever that approach to the response is going to be. You can't do that from a place where you're feeling scared, defensive, um, insecure. So the, mm -hmm. these, that's why kind of I offer that second bullet of like, we need to build our, our comfort uh, with being triggered in these conversations to recognize that it doesn't last forever. Mm -hmm. Being triggered can feel like it's happening for minutes, but truly it's seconds. <laughs> and so how can we take a couple of deep breaths? Um, sometimes I'll invite people to like, you know, we're in a virtual world. And if I'm like, if anything we're doing is triggering, you can turn off your screen, go grab that cup of tea, maybe pet, a cat or a dog or an animal or your pet, mm -hmm. you know, have, have a moment of like, okay, I need to ground myself again and then come back to the conversation. So that's kind of what was supporting that second point. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that you bring this up because I find that, I mean, if you just look around in our, our culture and our society, we are these like walking heads that are completely disconnected from our bodies. I mean, I, I see it like in my work, I've got like a complainant, I said to him, why did you come forward all of a sudden? Like he had been harassed. The complaint was, you know, continual harassment work over a long period of time. And I said, what was it that, you know, brought you to forward to make the complaint? And he was like, oh, it was this one comment. And it was like the straw that broke the camel's back, but it wasn't that big of a thing. But then when I started talking to him and said, how has this been affecting you? He had been vomiting on his way to work every day for oh. three months. And that wasn't enough for him to come forward. Like he was that disconnected with his bodily reactions of living in this, having a lived experience of this harassment yeah. on a day, like for three months, he was vomiting almost daily on the way to work because he was so stressed going to work. And that wasn't a clue for him to come forward. I was like, wow, like this. <laughs> so I yeah. just, yeah, I feel we are so disconnected with what our bodies are teaching us, what our bodies are trying to tell us. And we just live in these heads of intelligence and logic and we've really turned off what our beautiful bodies can teach us and what that knowledge is available to us if we just allow it to be and to, to listen to our bodies and to listen to what it's saying. Because, yeah, we're getting triggered and we're going into these <gasps> scary places, 
Okay. I hear you body. Thank you. What do you need? Okay. How do we calm down so that we can think again? Right. Cause when emotions go high, intelligence goes low. So it's yes, exactly. The more triggered we are, the less we can access the tools we have. And, and I think in reflecting on your example, Mm -hmm. that's a commentary to me on leadership and company culture, because all of us, you know, come into the world and as someone who was a midwife, you, you, mm-hmm. see, you come into the world deeply connected to all of yourself and to survive in systems and especially some systems, you have to be disconnected to survive. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not surprised by that story. And I have personal stories like that. And I have, you know, way too many uh, people in my community that I've heard similar stories where to survive, we had to pretend those things weren't happening mm-hmm. or swallow them. Because if you're in a place where you're like, I need this job to pay my bills, I don't have the luxury of quitting. And so I, when people ask me, what should you do if you're being, you know, experiencing harassment? And I'm like, that is not something I cannot offer a one and done answer here because mm-hmm. it's so contextual. So I love what you've, what you've offered as the example. And I hope uh, your listeners are kind of connecting to why embodiment, um, being in our whole bodies, accessing the wisdom of our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our emotions is critical in inclusion and equity work. Yes, absolutely. And I think also culturally, we have such a different association with our bodies as well. Like I'm speaking from a white Western culture of we, you know, our logic is way more important than our bodies. But I think there are other cultures where no being in your body is really important. And it's, it's definitely prioritized. So and being aware of those differences of how we interact and, and that. So. Yes. I should add, I think I, I would like to recognize the indigenous lands. Like, you know, I should have done that at the outset around. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm joining you from the land of the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, the Atawandaran who are uh, neutrals, um, and, and a host of other indigenous uh, communities that have stewarded this land way before my people even arrived here. And so I acknowledge the indigenous ways where there is that whole way. And, I, and I'm, I'm also tapping into my own ancestry because again, I've grown up in Canada. I've grown up in a very, uh, I'm going to say dominant white culture society. Um, and and try, I'm as a part of my own healing, I'm trying to connect to those practices that are whole body. Right. And, and even as we all heal, that'll be something I hope leaders who are listening will begin to integrate into, into their own, um, view of how their company culture should be uh, should be running. Mm, absolutely. Okay, great. We could talk forever, but let's get yes. on to your third point. What's yes. the third point that you have? So my third one is a little bit, I'm going to say it, it has more practical uh, application opportunity. Some of the, the first two, I feel like we're very, uh, I'm going to say leadership, emotional intelligence um, focus, mm-hmm. but the last one is really Uh, developing and committing to more inclusive meeting practices. And so uh, one of the things that I I had read was that um, really an employee's daily experience um, with with coworkers, with leaders, is probably the most telling indicator of how inclusive a workplace is, how much belonging uh, they feel they experience. And so I think about, you know, in my work and when I'm working with clients, I like to talk about things like um, you'll see in sessions I hold, there's always a check-in, mm-hmm. giving folks a chance to, you know, land in a meeting, especially in this day and age of virtual, where sometimes at like, you know, 159, you're finishing one meeting, meeting, and at 2 p.m., you're jumping into that next meeting. There's literally been no transition time. And so when you're doing equity inclusion work, especially, 
Um, it's in, and you're prioritizing equity and inclusion. You need to create space for people to all land. And so I do things like a check-in. It could be a simple question. How was the weekend, everyone? You know, mm-hmm. or I, I try to be a little creative. Sometimes it's like, what is something, you know, in preparation for the holidays, I remember asking one group, you know, what is something delicious? Because you know I'm a foodie that mm-hmm. you're looking forward to enjoying um, over the holiday break. And it's like a chance for informally people to connect and start kind of warming up to what the topic will be. Um, and it doesn't always have to be that it could be you know mm-hmm. simpler. It doesn't have to be hard, but it allows people to just land and get into the meeting. Mm-hmm. And I do a checkout as well. A, f- a nice way to close up a process so people can leave. Um, another thing I do is I consider accessibility. So, mm-hmm. you know, what time of day are you hosting a meeting? Are you thinking about your needs most, or are you thinking about the needs of your team? Have you even polled your team to say, when is the best time of day for us to meet? just to get a sense. And perhaps you don't land on one definitive option, but maybe you take, you variate them. Sometimes it's 10 in the morning, other times it's two in the afternoon. I, I know in my days of virtual, uh, when, when my kids were in virtual school and it looks like it's probably going to happen again. Mm-hmm. I remember how helpful it was to, to have certain times of the day for meetings, um, especially from clients who are like, you know, yeah, most of our staff are, are parents and they're navigating their kids. They'd like, like to have a meetings in the morning. So I love that there was that inclusion of their context it wasn't just about one person's context right so that's a form of power sharing of sorts right mm-hmm. um another you know tangible piece is things like sharing the agenda you know a week ahead sharing resources a week ahead so that people have a chance to review the information uh, maybe even having space if there's anything you want to discuss add it here so it becomes like a co-created experience people are prepared and they have a chance to digest any material you offer And so that's another kind of practice that I like to offer. And the last one I'd mentioned is consensus decision-making. So how do you shift decision-making so it's not just like a majority rule type of style, Mm -hmm. that there is a chance for you to... Because I also, in my work, never assume silence is consent, Mm -hmm. right? So many of us go, yeah, nobody said anything, so they must be good with this decision. Sometimes there's a lot of reasons why people don't speak up, right? And and they're related to equity and inclusion. If people don't feel psychologically safe in a space, if they feel like, um, you know, their, their opinion isn't valued, they're not going to offer, they're going to keep it to themselves. And, and so the, to that end, sometimes I use things like a, a Jamboard or a random polling software. So people don't have to give up who is offering the different ideas, but it's just offered into a pool that's um, just for the leader to, to take in and not have to know who it comes from. So there's, a, there's just a couple of strategies there that really, you know, I say shake up the way power flows in meetings. Mm. Um, And again, if you don't have that experience as a leader, and it feels really shaky for you, you don't want to start there. So if you've got the education, and you got the policy work that's happening, then this is a good place to try. But if, if you're starting from zero, then maybe you want to um, work with an inclusion partner, I like to say, you know, that can support you to adopt these practices. Mm. I, something we talked about earlier that I think is important for creating these meetings that are inclusive is also speaking the ground rules. Yes. Right. So speaking the ground rules that are uh, silent, the ones that are invisible, the ones that you're like, yes. well, that's just the way that's just what meetings are for. Well, yeah. not everybody has that expectation. So tell me more about a bit about that. Yes, I'm a big believer and my clients, if any of them are listening, will be like, yes, she says this all the time. We want to make transparent what's invisible because Mm -hmm. every meeting we attend has rules associated with them. Whether we take time to make them transparent or talk about them, it's things like arrive on time. Um, I don't even want to, there's a whole bunch that really 
to me are created by those who come from the dominant culture. So whether that's white, uh, able-bodied, male, um, you know, cisgender, whatever those dominant mm-hmm. cultural rules are. And so what I do in my work is I offer community agreements that I, I, I'll email them beforehand. So everybody gets to, because I recognize it's a new practice for many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can at least wrap their heads. They're like, what is this? And then in each session, I go through them. And so it could be things like we're committed to progress over perfection. Mm. Um, we're committed to, um, you know, confidential. I call it double confidentiality, actually. So whatever you hear in this space stays in this space. And the double confidentiality comes in when what you hear in this space from a colleague is not an invitation to have that conversation again outside of the space. Because sometimes mm. people go, oh, you talked about this in our meeting. I'd like to... Some people are not ready to talk about it with others, but they felt safe enough in that moment. And so those are some of the examples. Um, another another one that I use is um, that we're committed to um, not making assumptions about people's lived experience. So if you if you have an idea about somebody's race, their ability, their gender, we don't we don't assume things, right? So we we, we can even if I if I'll use give an example as someone who is you know a child of um, South Asian immigrants, you know from India. I, you know, may come into contact with other po- folks who have similar, you know, experience. I don't assume that they've had the same, you know, it's like, it's like I used the example of when our prime minister um, had that brown face incident mm. um, a couple of years ago, and everybody was asking, like, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I guess because I'm South Asian, I guess I was supposed to have, and I'm really hesitant to, to ever be a spokesperson for South Asian women, you know, that's, you know, I'm like, listen, I can't speak for the whole community because we're not a monolith. You know, we all have our own ideas, Mm -hmm. but I was able to say from my perspective, what I felt about that. Right. And that's kind of how I, I'm really hesitant to be any kind of a spokesperson, even as a DEI practitioner, Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion practitioner, people ask me, you know, what does the sector say? I'm like, well, this is what I say because practitioners are a monolith are not a monolith either. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important in this work, uh, to make sure that we're clear about that mm-hmm. um, and that, that we're very, and so I also name my approaches when I'm working with clients, like, you know, so I, I mentioned embodiment practices. I'm a trained conflict transformation practitioner. I'm a community mm-hmm. mediator. Um, I bring these different forces into my work that may differentiate my approach from others. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lima, you are a wealth of information. I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface. There's so much more that we could get into, but I love your, you know, get your rooted in your why. That's the first one. Why is inclusion and diversity important to you? Why do you, like, why does your company want this to be at the forefront? You know, build the emotional resilience, get really connected to your bodies is in that part, like listen to your bodies, create practices that get people into their bodies so they can live, have the lived experience and not just in their head. And the third is the, you know, develop and commit to more inclusive meeting practices, which are so, so important. And again, just the tip, tip, tip of the iceberg. Thank you so much for all of your wealth of knowledge, your information. I love your approach. I I feel a definite feminine approach versus a masculine approach for sure. So it's very refreshing. Thank you very much. Thank you for all the work you do in the world. Thank you for having the guts to say, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to try this out. And, you know, six months or however many months before a pandemic, it's not necessarily the best time to start a business. So thank you for having the courage to stick with it. I'm so glad to see you having oodles of success because this work is so, so needed in the world. So thank you for being a stand for this work that really pushes our edges. I really, really appreciate it.
Thanks so much, April. Thanks for having me. I love the work that you're doing and it's so connected to equity and inclusion. So really glad that you're out there making your mark as well. Awesome. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in yet again for the first podcast of 2022, but still in our second season. Please rate and review. It is the only way I know that you're out there and that you're listening and that this is providing value to you. Also, feel free to email me with questions or if you know of a great podcast guest that you'd love to have on the show, please feel free to reach out and email me. You can get all of that into the notes. You can also find out where to find Lena in the notes as well. All of her uh, her website and all of her information is in the show notes. So reach out to Lena as well. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to next time. Thank you for joining us for the harassment free workplace podcast. Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. And please spread the word. Feel free to send us feedback, questions and suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on workplace investigations and assessments, please visit www.harassmentfreeworkplace.com. Till next time.